The Lord be with you. And with your A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and bring your hand, and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. This weekend we celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday, a feast in which the Lord has given to us through the church a reminder of his infinite mercy poured out for love of us. Sometimes the thought may come to mind, or hopefully it should, or maybe we're prompted by someone else, to ponder the question, what must I do to be saved? Or in other words, how do I get to heaven? And the answer is simply to live the message of mercy. To live this message of divine mercy given to us by our Lord Jesus himself. The message is nothing new. It's not new revelation. It's just the Lord coming to, in a sense, repackage it for a world in need. To be able to encourage us once more. The difficulty that some have with the message of divine mercy is that it is very clear on one thing. Sin exists, and it exists in me. This is the core message of the message of divine mercy, because mercy requires something to be saved from, namely sin. Individuals I've talked with in the past who have been um, less than enjoyable or have not uh, appreciated this divine mercy message and the chaplet of divine mercy and the devotions that come along with it have critiqued it because they said they don't like the way of how much it talks about sin. How it talks about sinners. And it mentions sin over and over again. And the simple reality is, if we don't like the word sin, 
we should stay away from Jesus because he talks about it frequently. It is the purpose of his entire mission. When we hear about sin, sometimes we can chalk it up as simply a breaking of rules or, uh, you know, committing, you know, a, a trespass against a particular law. We know the commandments of God. We all have uh, had, had some catechism lesson here or there that has taught us what we're supposed to do and not do as good Catholics. We know the thou shalt nots of the Ten Commandments and other such rules. But ultimately, rules don't really matter. It's the relationship that those rules protect that matters. And when we sin, again, it's not the breaking of a rule or a law. It's the severing of our relationship. It's cutting myself off from Christ. And this is the sorrow of it. Jesus gives us many descriptions of himself and our relationship with him in the scriptures, many different parables. But one of the most important that he gives us, especially in light of this message of mercy, is that of the vine and the branches. Jesus says to us, I am the vine, you are the branches. Unless you remain in me, you will not bear fruit. So the Lord bids us to come and to remain in him, to stay attached to him. But what sin does is it places something between us and the vine. It places my will between me and God. And it separates me from the vine. It cuts me off. And we know that no branch can survive separated from the vine that is its life. This is why St. Paul would tell us in no uncertain terms that the wages of sin is death. That if we do the work of sin, our repayment, our paycheck is death. This is why Christ tells us quite clearly because we separate ourselves from the life of the vine. Sin ultimately is an important reality for us to acknowledge because it changes everything in us. The presence of sin either keeps us from Christ or permits us to draw closer to him by its absence. And so we must talk about sin. We must consider sin. Indeed, if we say that we don't have sin, we become fools. Some think from time to time, well, I don't really do that much. I mean, I haven't killed anybody. It's a nice common refrain, as if not killing people is the standard by which we should judge ourselves worthy of heaven. If that's the standard, the bar is impressively low. I mean, you have to really try to find a way to kill somebody, necessarily. And the simple reality is that that's not the measure by which things happen. Our Lord speaks to us through the words of St. John in 1 John's letter. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we deny that we have sin, the truth is not in us. Christ is not in us. But if we acknowledge our sin and confess it, it's forgiven. And this is the important piece, is that Christ comes to save us. But in the words of St. Augustine, God created us without us, but he will not save us without us. None of us had to consent to be created. It's not as if any of us, as a, as a soul floating around in heaven, had to be considered with God, you know, and give our approval for him to bring us into life. 
That wasn't a choice we had. But the choice to be saved is ours. Christ extends his mercy to us. He offers his grace. He offers the sacraments. He offers the life of the church. He offers all of these things. And he says, now choose. Which way would you like? Would you like life or would you like death? The choice is yours. And he waits. God cannot force salvation upon us. Love wouldn't do that. Love invites us. Love encourages us. Even downright begs us. Christ begs for us to come to his mercy. But we have to be willing to do something to receive it ourselves. To come forward to Christ and to open our hearts. And this was the great lament that Jesus had to St. Faustina about the lack of response. As he spoke to her in, the, in, the, in one of his revelations to her, and he said simply, Souls perish in spite of my bitter passion. If they will not adore my mercy, they will perish for all eternity. It was the lamentation, the lament of the heart, the sorrow of the heart of Jesus. He said, I've come and I've offered myself and my passion. And yet in spite of that, don't knock the candle over. In spite of that, souls still refuse to come. Souls still refuse to come and to immerse themselves in my mercy. They remain in their sin. And if they do that, if they refuse to acknowledge my mercy, they will perish. And I hate that reality, but the reality is their choice. And Christ calls us to come to experience his mercy. Again, sin is integral in the mission of Jesus Christ. It's necessarily there. But it is the entire purpose that Christ came among us. Over and over and over and again, we hear the name of the Lord directly connected with the reality of sin. When St. Joseph was questioning in his heart whether to take Mary into his house, he was confused and the angel Gabriel came and appeared to him and spoke to him and he said, be assured this is, this is the work of God. And he spoke directly of the Lord and he said, speaking to Joseph, he said, you shall call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This is the message of the angel of God. The purpose for the naming of the Lord is that he will save us from our sins. It doesn't say that you will name him Jesus because he will give you great parables and great quotes that you can put on your wall and be encouraged by. It doesn't say that you will name him Jesus so that you can go and you can be encouraged to go forth and be good people. It says you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Through the course of his life, Jesus over and over again speaks of sin. Most clearly, the most striking parable, not parable, the most striking account of this emphasis upon sin is the story of the paralytic, of how the man who is paralyzed, his four friends, they they go and they open up the roof of the house because they can't get to Jesus through the door. They open up the roof of the house and they drop the paralytic down on on, on a little mat. And rather than acknowledge his physical illness, Jesus looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. People are shocked. Who but God alone can forgive sins? But also they're shocked because he's forgiving his sins, but the man's still paralyzed. They want the physical, but the reality is Christ comes to save us from the spiritual. He comes to save us from sin. 
Even in his last hour, Jesus took the chalice and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Over and over and over, Christ comes and speaks to us simply to receive his mercy. We are plagued by sin and the only path to peace is Christ. Some would say that all people go to heaven when we die. It's a nice sentiment today. Every time we go to a funeral, the words are heard, they're in a better place. And indeed, we pray that they are. But there's a simple presumption that often happens that no matter what a person does and believes or lives in their life, that immediately we go to heaven when we die. And the simple reality is, if everybody goes to heaven when we die, why did Jesus come to save us from hell? What was he saving us from? That the default path is is everyone goes to heaven. Why did Jesus climb on a cross for us? He could have just stayed in heaven and waited for all of us to join him one day. Other ways that we sometimes hear is that all religions, all different paths of belief or lack of belief, for that matter, ultimately everything leads to heaven. You don't have to be Christian. And again, it begs the question... If we don't have to be Christian, if we don't need Jesus, why did Jesus do what he did? Whether someone accepts it or not, if they are saved, they are saved only in the person of Jesus. Only in Jesus. Only in his mercy. And being willing to be humble before the Lord and to place ourselves before him, there we find life. More commonly among Catholics is the simple question of, why do I have to go to confession to a priest? I know that many stay away from the sacrament of reconciliation because they simply don't want to talk to another person. Who does he think he is? Why do I need him? It's a good question. But my answer would be, if we don't need confession with a priest, why did Jesus give men the power to forgive sins? Why did Jesus come back to us in the gospel today and come to his disciples? And the first thing he does is he, he, he wishes them peace. And he says, as the father sent me, namely with all power and authority, so I send you with all power and authority. He breathed upon them the Holy Spirit. And he said, whose sins you forgiven are forgiven, whose sins you retained are retained. And if we don't need the sacrament of reconciliation, if we don't need another person to be able to receive the mercy of God, Jesus literally wasted his breath. In the moment of his resurrection, the thing that he says first is useless. If we don't need a priest for reconciliation, if we don't have to go and humble ourselves to receive the grace and forgiveness to be united again to the vine, Jesus was a fool. We have to either believe it or leave the Lord behind. The simple fact that whenever we go to reconciliation, whenever we walk away from reconciliation, whenever those words, I absolve you from your sins, are pronounced over us and the sign of the cross made, every single one of us experiences something of joy. Some people, it's a, a profound joy where it's, it's, you know, tears pour forth. Some, it's a simple joy. But this, the reality is that all of us, when we go to reconciliation, we walk away 
with a lighter heart. And the reasoning is because what happens in the sacrament of mercy is that we're reconnected to the vine. And the life of the vine courses through our veins again. Even if we're not in grave sin, the the amount of life that pours forth the grace from Christ increases in us. And it necessarily lifts us up. It's the beauty of the sacrament. Christ touches our hearts. The message of mercy is the most important message we can ever hear. It's the message that saves us. It's easy to concern ourselves with all the things of this world and this life. But in the end, this life is not where we're meant to be. Christ calls us to heaven. He longs to save us. He goes to extraordinary lengths to be able to do it. And he wants us to receive his mercy to allow it to come to its fruition. And so the plea is simple. Whatever it is that's on our hearts, wherever sin is alive in us, killing us, bring it to Christ. Period. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how serious it is. It doesn't matter how long it's happened and what it has done to our life. The simple reality is that there is absolutely nothing that Christ cannot forgive except the sin that I continue to cling to and refuse to let him forgive. If I'm willing to give it to Christ, he's willing to accept it. He's willing to save us. He created us without us, but he will not save us without us. And so the question lies with us. Are we willing to trust in his mercy? Are we willing to place ourselves in his care? To give everything over to him, even our sin and our desire for sin. To cast all at the feet of Jesus. This is the invitation. May God grant us this grace.